Well, um, yesterday we had our church Christmas uh, fellowship, and we had a you know dozen to fifteen or so people that that came out and and. Um, one of the things we did was, and I'm, now I'm kind of sad I didn't record it, but we had everybody act out the Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, that was, so that's what you missed. Some of you are like, whew, glad I didn't come. Others of you are like, ah, oh, man. And so um, actually we had both Charlie Browns were on, uh, were on stage uh, tonight, uh, this morning, was uh, um, you know, Eric and Phil. Um, I know they chose, uh, basically they were choosing bald, bald people to uh, play Charlie Brown. But it, it, was, it was good. It was a reminder. Um, I, I hope you've had a chance to, um, if you're old like me, relive your childhood and watch uh, that show. And for some of you, maybe you've never seen it before. But we've been talking about, you know, that. And the, it's because it's been the theme of just a simple Christmas. It's, you know, what... You know, Charlie Brown knew was missing that that even though there was all the trappings of of what was going on for the Christmas season, he knew something was missing. And so we've been trying to return to that a a simple Christmas. And since November, we've been going through this um, and just asking these simple questions. You know, who is Jesus? And you know we've we've seen what the Bible has has told us that he's the Son of God, that he's the Word, God's Word that became flesh, and that he's the Savior, Savior of us all, the Savior of the world. And when it says, when then we ask the question, you know, what did he come to do? And we we answered that question with, you know, he came to give us peace with God, to reconcile us with God, to you know take our, that our rebellion against God and, and to make it, make it right. And not just, you know, get us back to square one, but to, to, to make the relationship better so that now we, we could really know what it means to, to live with God and live for God. And he came of course, to save us and save us from ourselves and save us from our sin and save us from the trouble that we had, that we had created. And, and he came to protect us. We saw the image of the shepherd and to lead us and to guide us. And then we've been asking the question in the last couple of weeks, you know, why did, he, why did he come? And the first question is because, because we created a situation we, you know, we sinned, we rebelled, we rejected, we tried to replace God, we tried to ignore all the signs that God gave us that he is God. And we became trapped, we became trapped in our, our own minds, our own flesh, our own desires. And we kept seeking truth, but when you've rejected truth and you then try to find truth, you're not going to find truth because you've rejected it. You've, you've, you've taken the right answer and said it can't be right. And so any answer you come up with is going to be wrong. And we were trapped because it led us farther and farther away. He also came because it's been his purpose. 
It's why he created the world. You know, I sometimes ask you this question, and I think most of you can answer it now, but, but it's the question of, you know, what was God's project? What was his reason for creating? And most of you know his reason for creating wasn't just to create a universe. His reason was to establish a kingdom. It has always been about the kingdom. And if we understand that, if we understand that it's always been about the kingdom, then we don't get kind of stuck like some of us do in our Christianity. We get stuck because we think it's all about me or it's all about you. And we don't understand that, that no, it's bigger than that. We get the misconception that, that somehow God had this great plan and we messed up that great plan, and then he's like, oh man, what am I gonna do now? You know, I've heard people, and, and I know sometimes they're just creating, you know, trying to create a story, and they're not really meaning it literally, but you know, the whole picture is this picture of, of God the Father sitting around with um, the Holy Spirit and, and the Son, and they're like, Oh, look at these wicked people. What are we going to do? Oh, and Jesus goes, you know what? I'll go. And that's a really touching story. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with the Bible. Because the Bible, as we looked at last week, said before the foundations of the world, it has always been God's plan. And you might not like his plan. You might not understand his plan. But it's always been his plan. And we're somewhere in the process of that plan. I don't know where we are. I mean, I don't know if, you know, you know tomorrow Jesus is, says, okay, it's, it's done. Or if, you know, a thousand, two thousand years from now, somebody's going to write a book saying 4,000 reasons Jesus will return in the year 4,000. I don't know, Okay. Not sure, but I know this, it's always been his plan. And that if you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, if you are part of, of his church, you're part of the body of Christ, if that's the truth, you've always been in his plan too. I know that. And ultimately, you know, as we just see and saw in that simple verse a few Sundays ago, it's ultimately an expression of something about his nature, and that is that he loves. There's love, Father, Son, and Spirit that we find in the Trinity, but there's love that, that comes from God to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. So now we're getting to the last set of questions. And the last set of questions says, you know, what should we do? Okay, we've heard about all that Jesus did, heard about what God did, what should we do? And, you know, to help us understand that, I, uh, I brought something. Some of you know I'm gonna have to head to the mainland for the next two or three days, three or four days, actually. Um, and so I, I usually take a toothbrush because I use an electric toothbrush at home. I don't like to take it on the trip. And um, so I have this toothbrush. Unfortunately, I haven't made a deal, so I'm going to cover up the name for product placement because if I did, they, then, then they would pay me for showing their toothbrush. 
no, I'll show it anyways. It's Oral-B. Um, not recommending it, not sponsoring it, but I will use it. I'm showing you this toothbrush because this, something like this toothbrush, um, it actually once saved the International Space Station. Some of you might remember this story, but it was from about eight or nine years ago. But the International Space Station um, wasn't, wasn't working. Like, apparently they have these four uh, hubs where power comes in and one of them wasn't working, which meant, you know, eight of their generators, you know, 25%, you know, wasn't working and this wasn't good. In fact, it was pretty scary. And, and so the, the, the astronauts, the ones who were on the space station, you know, thought, okay, we can fix this. So they, you know, they, they went out and they spent eight hours, more than eight hours. I think it's a record for the longest in, in, you know, on a spacewalk. For eight hours, they, they were out there and they were trying to fix, you know, what the problem was. And they had, you know, they had all their training, all their knowledge, and they had um, all these, you know, high-tech tools. And as they're doing it, you know, they were, you know, they, they, were, they, they, they noticed there was like these metal shavings that had gotten stuck in there. And so, you know, they're talking about it and they're trying to figure out, you know, you know, we can't get our instruments in there because of the metal shavings. And they're like, wow, you know, I, 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 I if only we had a brush, you know, if only we had a brush. You know, and they were thinking, yeah, that would be great if we had a brush. You know, and if, especially if it was just, you know, only like an inch or so. Wouldn't that be, you know, and then the bristles had to be not too hard. They had to be flexible. You know, and they're, they're sitting around, and I don't know how long they had to think before someone said, you mean like a toothbrush? And sure enough, that's what they did. They took a toothbrush and a couple other very common tools that, almost all of us probably have in our homes, and they went out and they fixed a $100 million space station. You know, that's one of the great stories if you ever, like, ever look at um, the history of like space, you know, the space industry, space travel, like there's this, this attitude these, you know, the people have, and it's this, you know, this kind of can-do attitude, like, you know, we're going to fix it. We're going to work it out. We're going to make it, you know, if there's a problem, you know, we'll find a way. And unfortunately, you know, that's not super common. You know, it's not a super common feeling. It's one of the reasons, you know, these guys are the best of the best. And what's more common is we, when we face problems sometimes, especially dire problems that, that, you know, that, you know, create danger and seem too complicated for us to deal with, we think the problem's too difficult, too complicated. And I think there are some people out there, I think there's a lot of people out there, they, they want to be reconciled to God. They, they hear about salvation. They hear about what it means to be right with God. And they want that, but they either think it's too difficult or they think it's too complicated. They certainly don't think it could be as simple as a toothbrush. 
And so what happens? You know, they, they just don't try. And some of you who are maybe active in evangelism, maybe you've heard some of these things, especially with somebody that really wants to believe or seems to be listening and receptive. But they may say stuff like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not good enough. Or it seems like, you know, there's, there's, there's just, you know, too much to do. Too, it's too complicated. It's, you know, there's, I, I, I just don't know how I could ever do what you do. They may even, you know, respect you, compliment you. You're such a good person. I could never be you. And they make it too difficult, too complicated. I think sometimes we might do that too. We, we might make it too difficult or too complicated. I think sometimes evangelism suffers from either extreme. It's either too simple, people oversimplify it, or it's too complex, too difficult. And, you know, the too simple version is usually like the salesman version. You know, that's the version of, you know, trying to help Jesus out because Jesus needs a better PR person. Because if you he, if he tell the whole thing about Christianity, you know, people aren't going to be attracted to it. You just hit them on the high points. You know, live forever. You know, save from sin and death. Those kind of things. And then that's good. Move on. You know, just say these words and these, you know, you'll have all of this. And so you have the too simple version, but then you get the too complicated version, the too difficult to understand version. The version that seems to make it seem like I have to make all these, you know, things. I have to do all these things. I have to be something. And again, we need to come back to just a simple faith, a simple Christmas. What should we do? Well, Eric read a passage of scripture earlier that really simplified the, the message that was preached at that, that first like public sermon after, um, after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit has come. Today we're going to focus on a text that's written eh, probably about 15 years later. And it's written by Paul. And he's, he's writing this letter to the church at Rome. And, and as we've talked about before, this is the longest explanation of what he believes. The longest explanation of his beliefs. Longest explanation of how he understands Christianity. And, and he's trying to help them understand this problem that keeps coming up. And the problem is that, you know, there's this human thing that even if we can accept that we want to be right with God, we think it requires our efforts. We have to do things. We have to work. And Paul's saying, no. He's saying, there's a place for works. But what comes first is faith. And so he's trying to help them understand a righteousness based on faith. And, and he's gone through this, you know, the first five chapters. He lays out, you know, the case for that. 
talks about how we were caught up in our sin, and we talked about that a few weeks ago and when I did a message on Romans 1 and how we trapped ourselves. But then he follows that up with the great news, the great news of, of Jesus Christ coming and, and that through faith in Jesus Christ we can have peace with God. And then he kind of takes this little side trip because he's writing to the whole church at Rome, but he's also writing to this smaller group at the church at Rome. And these are some of the, the Jewish people who can you know, become Christians. And so he's writing to them too, and he's writing about the Jewish people in general. Remember, Paul is Jewish. And, and Paul, as he says in this letter, he's, he, he, he would give up his own salvation if his people would come to Christ. And so in the middle of, of you know, talking about that and addressing the, you know, this section, dress, addressing you know, um, Jewish people and sometimes addressing them directly, he, he says this in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. He says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do we do? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. What we do at the front door, it's simple. What we do to be, to be saved and to be accepted by God, to be reconciled, it's pretty simple. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Unfortunately, we sometimes focus only on the saved part. We only talk about saved. Let me tell you, Jesus is referred to as Lord hundreds of times in the New Testament. Way more times is he referred to as Lord than he is referred to as Savior. And yet we focus on Savior so much. And by the way, it's not an either or. It's more the question of why do we leave Lord behind? We just want to talk about Savior. You know, some of the Christmas hymns, you know, they'll, they'll, they, they get this right. They'll talk about Christ the Savior being born. But they'll also talk about Jesus, Lord at thy birth. He's not just Savior. He is the Lord who saves. 
And if we want to see what's, you know, this, this simple thing, what should we do? We believe in Jesus as Lord. We believe in Jesus as Lord. That's what we do. Now, this means there's certain things that should be kind of going on in us to do this. If you believe in Jesus as Lord, there's, there's, there's got to be this sense that you, you need a Lord. There's got to be a sense that if you believe in Jesus as Lord to be saved, that you need to be saved. One of the problems that we have, especially again in the first world that most of us live in, is that we don't, we don't experience like day to day, sometimes hour by hour, just the, the tragedies of life. We don't see it. We don't necessarily see immediate effects of our sinful behavior or the sinful behaviors of others. And so we can go through life never have facing any real danger or any real need, at least not one that we can see, and so then we don't think we need to be saved. We begin to trust in our own goodness or in the goodness of others, and we don't think we need to be saved. But in believing in Jesus as Lord, so that we would be saved means that we know we need to be saved. Even though we may not understand all the details, we may not understand how it all works, even though we may not have ever read Romans chapter 1, you know, 18 through 32, even though we don't know that, we know that we need to be saved. We know that we need to be saved by a Lord. We need to be saved by someone who won't just take us out of the problem. Not just the lifeguard that pulls us out of the pool because, you know, we're drowning. But the one who will teach us how to swim. We realize that. We acknowledge that. It's to be saved but to be saved by the Lord. See, when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we're, we're acknowledging so much more. You know, the word Lord was what was used in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was used in place of the name of God. The, you know, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you know, the, the Jewish people, they felt that God's name was so holy that they didn't want to speak it and they didn't want to write it for fear that they would, they would you know, disrespect and, and, and in some sense you know, take God's name in vain. And so one of the things they would do is they would put in its place the word Lord. And we find in the, in the, in the New Testament we find in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, and then we find in Paul's letters that this word Lord is not simply an honorific term. It isn't saying, you know, just like, you know, Mr. or Sir. It's more than that. That there is this connection to this, 
to the Hebrew use of Lord. And so when we believe in Jesus, we believe that Jesus is Lord, you know, even though we may not fully understand it that first moment we do it, there is this sense that, that we're saying we can trust you. And let me just tell you, there's only, you know, one reason to trust Jesus. And that is because he is God. Why would you trust anyone else with everything that you are? Why would you? Well, you might do it, but you would do it knowing that there's a pretty good chance at some point or another they're going to fail you or they're going to fail you in some, some place, some part. You certainly wouldn't surrender everything unless you're just kind of foolhardy trusting in human beings because one thing all human beings have in common is that we all are imperfect. We all fail. I know we don't say that and I know it doesn't make, you know, good Valentine cards, you know, to, you know, it's better to say you're so perfect, you're the one I love and trust completely, you'll never let me down. It's better to say that than to say I love and trust you more than anyone else because I think you'll let me down less than other people will and I think you'll care. You know, I, I mean, it's not as romantic. But it's true. It's true. I think we can save ourselves a lot of grief for both people in that kind of relationship if up front we acknowledge neither one of us is perfect nor will we ever be perfect. That I don't have perfection expectations on you and you don't have perfection expectations on me. And yet even though we do this, we, we know this, we still do it. There are certain people that you just take their word. You just believe what they say no matter what, they, no matter what comes out of their mouth. You don't even have to check it. You don't have to test it. You just believe them. For some of you, it's, you know, Dr. Fauci. Whatever he says, that's true. For some of you, somebody else. Whatever they say, that's true. Everybody, everybody is fallible. Everybody is imperfect. When we say Jesus is Lord, if you just think Jesus is a human being, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why you would trust him. I, I know why you would maybe take his advice. I know why you may want to generally, like, you know, listen to him and live for him. But you would also know that he suffers from the same problem we suffer from. That there's some point in what he's saying that is wrong. Why would you give your whole life to that? Why over 2,000 years would, be, would so, many, so many Christians be willing to suffer and die for just another human being? In fact, if he were just another human being, if, if you were to tell me 
that you, if you were to speak about another human being the way that, that the Bible speaks about how we should trust in Jesus and how we should surrender to Jesus and how we should follow him through whatever comes, if you were to say that's how you feel about another human being, I would worry for you. Because I would think that you either have gotten caught up in a cult or somehow you've been, you know, gotten into this weird codependent relationship or something weird is going on because nobody's that good. But when we trust in Jesus, we're acknowledging that Jesus is God. And as God, he is perfect. In God, he is trustworthy in all things. But we're not leaving behind that other part of the word Lord either. We're also trusting in him as, as the master, as the leader, as the ruler. And so there's always that, those, those two elements in what it means when we say we believe in Jesus. It means that we trust him, but it also means that we will obey Trust him and will obey. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like if you were trying to help somebody and you were going to give them advice and you were, you were saying like, you know, this is what you should do. And they say, you know, you're right. You are right. I trust you. I trust that you are saying exactly what I need to do if I want to accomplish what I say I want to accomplish. So I trust you. And then they go and do the opposite. Was it really trust? What kind of trust is that that doesn't result in obedience? It doesn't result in doing what you say you trust. And it's weird because we know that in like human relationships. But for some reason, we don't think that when it comes to God. Oh God, I trust you. But I'm not even going to open the Bible that tells me how I should live. I'm not even going to open it. Because I trust you, I will generally trust you, and I have a vague idea of what you accept, but I'm never really going to study God's Word. I'm never going to really look at what you have to say. What kind of trust is that? Or we go... You know, there's, I, I trust you, God. I trust you completely. I, you know, I, um, but, you know, sometimes what you say in the Bible, it's hard. Sometimes it goes against what my friends say. Sometimes it goes against what society says. Sometimes it goes against what my teachers are saying or whatever it is, whatever the source of authority that you're relying on, you're, you're going to say, oh, but it goes against that. So, you know, I'm just not going to do that part. Do we really trust? Do we really trust? Notice here too, it doesn't just say believe in your heart. It does say believe in your heart, which is really important. But it also says confess with your mouth. And Paul's not thinking of this as two separate stages. He's really thinking like these things go together. But he's talking about publicly identifying with Christ. Publicly identifying with Christ. He's not talking about being a secret Christian 
oh yeah, my heart's changed, but I don't really want to say. I don't want to put it out there. Publicly identifying with Christ at a time when it meant something. You know, what happens today if you tell people, yeah, I'm a, I follow Christ, I'm a Christian. You know, some people will just kind of say, yeah, okay, thank you, uh, move on. Other people may say, yeah, me too. And there may be a few people that might argue with you or mock you, right? But this doesn't really cost us. You know, I don't know that, you know, maybe some people have faced this, but you've lost your job because you're a Christian or you've been thrown into prison because you're a Christian. I don't think, you know, too many of us have faced that. But no, when Paul is saying this, it means something. In fact, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, it's following a phrase that, that would increasingly become a confession you made as a Roman citizen, except it wasn't Jesus is Lord, it was Caesar is Lord. This was a statement that could easily be interpreted, easily be interpreted as you being in rebellion against the emperor. There needs to be these words that reflect the condition of the heart. There needs to be action. You know, that's the great thing about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown just, you know, and throughout the whole show, he's just, his heart's just out there. Now, he'll tell anybody. He'll tell his friends, he'll tell his little sister, he'll tell his dog, he'll tell the kids who make fun of him because it bugs him so much. He just, whatever's in his heart, he's just saying. He puts words and eventually he puts action. Well, the second part of this it's not believe, just believing in Jesus as Lord, but we must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You cannot, you cannot be a Christian. Let me just make sure. I, I'm, I'm trying, sometimes I may be too subtle, so I'm trying to be as direct as I can. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot. I'm not saying that. Paul's saying that. You can, you can believe there is no such thing as supernatural except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can believe that. It's good. Because at least you believe in the resurrection. But if you say... No, the only things that are real, the only things that are true are the natural. You have eliminated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not natural. It is supernatural. Now you may want to explain away you know, some of Jesus' healings and some of his miracles, fine. You can do that. That's your prerogative. But if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Paul is saying, you cannot be saved. It's, 
And you might go, why? Why, why, why do I have to believe in that? Why can't I just believe he's you know, the son of God and he dies on the cross? Because all of that, you know, even though we don't understand the son of God part maybe, but at least the dying on the cross, that's natural. That's what happened, right? People die and then you bury them and they usually stay dead. That's usually what happens. They don't come back. And they don't come back the way Jesus comes back. And why is this so important? There's several reasons this is important. One reason is because in, the, in believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you believe that there is more than this world, that there is something other than this world, and that something other than this world is God. We believe in God. We believe God is not just like all of us together or all of creation or nature. We're not pantheist. We believe that, that outside this physical realm of existence, there is God. And we believe that, that this God acted in history. That he came into human history and he acted on our behalf. And certainly we believe in the resurrection because of that. But we also believe in the resurrection because of what the re resurrection represents. It represents the conquering of sin and death with new life. It's not just sin and death are conquered. It's that new life is now possible. New life in Christ. It's one of the reasons, you know, we, you know, we you keep saying, you know, again and again, it's not, it's, Christianity is not just behavior modification. It's not just, I try to be a good person. Yes, you, the Bible tells us to do those things, to be diligent, to work at these things. But the Bible also says that when we become Christians, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Jesus as Lord, that we are made new. We have new life. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We're no longer the same. The resurrection represents that. Why would you believe that, that faith in Jesus Christ would make you new if you didn't believe in the resurrection? doesn't make sense. That's just a very complicated way of saying, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to give myself a new attitude. I'm going to become more de determined, more disciplined. And then I'm going to say, it's because God did it. When we become Christians, faith in Jesus Christ, we have new life. We're no longer the same. We have his supernatural ability to love the only way he can love, to even love our enemies while they're killing us. Really love them. This new life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a reason Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 
If Jesus wasn't raised, we're to be the most pitied of all because we are still dead in our sins. The last point is just what he says at the very end. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's it. You truly believe? You believe in Jesus as Lord? You believe in that, that God raised him from the dead? You really believe that? You confess with your, with your mouth? It says you will be saved. And as we talked about what that means when we say we really believe, then we then it's going to show up in our lives. First of all, it's going to show up in, in the new life that we have in Christ. And for some people, it's an overwhelming moment. For me, I became a Christian when I was really young. You know, um, maybe I was a really bad kid, but I don't, I don't know. I don't have any records of it. You can't prove anything. And so there's no way for me to know that. But really, I was probably pretty much a typical kid. And so for me to know a huge difference, I don't know. Not certainly at five, six years old. But some of you, you know. Especially those of you who became Christians when you were teenagers or adults. You know. You know what was in your heart. You know what was in your mind. You know the direction your life was going. And you know what happens when you finally just accepted Jesus as Lord. You were no longer the same. My dad used to share his, his testimony. Even though he grew up in the Lutheran church, he didn't really profess Christ. Though he, was, he was in the Air Force out at Wheeler. And, and he he knew something was different, but he didn't even know all of that. It wasn't until people would come up to him and say, you're different. You're not the same Bill Sanders that you were before. You'll be saved, but that belief, it'll show up in our lives. We'll also, because we really believe he's Lord and we trust him, we want to follow him. We want to know his word. We want to obey. And we'll do that no matter the cost. It's why I keep talking about discipleship. Discipleship is so important. It's really who we are. And for some reason in the church, we've decided discipleship is an option. We've just decided, you know, yeah, you, you, you just got to know the basics. Does that really show that we trust God? We trust Jesus as Lord? It also says we're saved. And what are we saved from? Well, even again, just what we've talked about the last few weeks, what are we saved from? We're saved from slavery to sin. We're saved from life without God. If you're being saved from life without God... That means that you're saying, I want life with God. And as we've said many times, he's not a tame lion. You let God into your house, you know what he's going to do? He's going to start looking in that medicine chest. He's going to go in that closet. He's going to look around at all those things you think you've hidden, that you think you've taken care of. Don't let him in your house if you don't want him to shine his light everywhere. But it's weird. Again, it's why we just want Jesus to be Savior. 
we want him to be Lord because without him, we will serve another Lord. We will become enslaved to another master who's cruel, doesn't care about you, just wants what it wants. See, we see Charlie Brown kind of acting on that when he goes and he finds a tree. And, and you know, when he goes to look for a tree, he, he finds this little tree like the one back here or like the one in the picture. And I'm pretty sure we would have reacted the same way all the kids do when Charlie Brown brings that tree back. But if you know why he, asked, he picks that tree, if you guys ever watched the show, you and we read it last night, so some of you remember, but he goes, it looks like it needs a home. Charlie Brown doesn't know everything that's going on. He doesn't know why he feels the way he feels. But he's acting on what he believes. And he picks the most pathetic tree because it needs a home. I just want to throw this last piece in. It's kind of a bonus. It's the rest of this section. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Last week we said, we, we have to have a God-sized view of God so that we can understand his God-sized plan. But understand this, that God-sized plan begins at the smallest level, the most personal level of you and me believing in Jesus Christ and you and me helping others to do the same. It's a huge plan, but it's God-sized and it's God's responsibility. And he's given us a very simple task. Believe and then tell others. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray.